0: This episode of the Windows into the Bible podcast is brought to you by Windows into the Bible University. The best way for you to continue studying and learning about the words of the Bible through the world of the Bible. With affordable monthly and annual membership plans, in addition to some incredible free courses and materials, Windows into the Bible University is a resource like nothing that's out there. Courses are available online, on-demand with video and audio lessons, so there's no such thing as falling behind. You decide the pace you learn at, and we provide you with everything you need to study your Bible like never before. Some of our most popular courses include What is the Bible?, Windows into the Bible?, The Theology of Jesus, and much more. These courses are expert-led with college-level learning and materials at a fraction of the college cost. We guarantee you'll never look at the Bible the same again. Enroll today at WITBUniversity.com. That's WITBUniversity.com.
1: The Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBquestions or email them to questions at witbpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit witbpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode.
0: Now, when you see these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus utters these words in Luke after his prediction of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Of the gospel writers, Luke alone used the language of redemption. He does so five times in his gospel. It's already been noted by some scholars that Mark and Matthew seem to separate, distance Jesus from Jerusalem the temple, and the Jewish people, perhaps in part due to the fact that they're writing after the destruction of Jerusalem that takes place in AD 70. But one thing that we can certainly say is they do not use this language of redemption that we find used throughout Luke's gospel, and specifically connected To Jesus and His ministry. So, what did this language mean in Luke's Gospel? What did it mean on the lips of Jesus? Hi, I'm Mark. Do you ever feel confused when you read the Bible? Do you feel like you're missing things that the author intended for you to understand? Would you like to gain clarity and confidence in reading the Bible? Welcome to the Windows into the Bible podcast, where we use the world of the Bible to help you understand the words of the Bible. One of the greatest challenges of modern readers of the Bible, especially Western readers, is to step into the spiritual world of the Bible. We're too conditioned by our assumptions and our worldview to do that. Now, the primary way that we can enter the ancient spiritual world is through the literature of the ancient world. The problem, though, is that we tend to read that literature and approach it through our modern lenses. When we do that, we miss its essence. The Protestant Reformation introduced a new concept into religion, something that was foreign to the world before it, including the world of Christianity. And that's the idea that the essence of faith was in an inner relationship of the believer with God. Faith was something personal, private. It was a thing that was internal. It existed in a sphere that was distinct from the rest of society, Thus, one did their faith internally, privately, but yet that was separate from government, economy, or law. Faith belonged to religion. Everything else was secular. The Enlightenment heightened this worldview and even forced it upon other religions like Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. European Jews living in the 18th and 19th centuries were forced to accept a Protestant Christian definition of their faith in order to be considered among the free peoples of Europe. Judaism became defined much in the same way that Protestant faith had defined itself. The law of Moses was seen as being something that was inward, private, ceremonial within the Jewish community, and as long as the Jewish community adopted such a view of itself, it was okay within European society. Judaism then belonged to a religion, not a people or a nation. The terms Jew and Judaism became funneled into a religious identity that was separated from a national self-awareness. Jews could exist within the secular European states by defining themselves actually in a more Christian manner. But this was something that was foreign to Judaism for the past 2,000 years. You even find this among scholars who will say, well, after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, Judaism relieved itself from a national identity or an identity tied to land and focused itself around the Torah. This is a very Protestant way of looking at this. Never forget that beginning in the 2nd century AD and on, throughout the Jewish diaspora anywhere in the world, you always have on Passover the statement made, next year in Jerusalem. What does this have to do with the language of redemption in Luke's gospel? Everything. Because what happens in Western culture due to this Protestant way of viewing religion and faith is redemption becomes seen as something that is very personal, individual, private, that one could Maintain a redemptive, salvific view within their faith and yet participate fully in the secular world around. Thus, when most Westerners come to read the New Testament, words like redemption, salvation become turned completely inward, personal something segregated and separated from the secular world around me. This worldview was not only foreign to ancient Judaism, but it was also foreign to Christianity even up into the medieval period. But yet what happens when we approach Jewish literature, the New Testament, We tend to superimpose upon it our way in the West that has been informed by Protestantism and the the ideals of the Enlightenment in how we read these things. It's very interesting that in the coins that were minted by the Jewish rebels during the first revolt that lasts from 66 to 73 or 74 of the first century. In years two and three of the revolt, the rebels put the legend on their coins, freedom of Zion. But something changes in the fourth year of the revolt. This is this year that we know as the year of the four emperors, when we have the end of Nero's reign, and then this succession of three other emperors until eventually Vespasian becomes the new emperor that is going to establish a new imperial dynasty. At this point, all that's left to the Jewish rebels is Jerusalem and a few desert fortresses like Makerus, Masada, and Herodium. No longer Are there ideas that they can be the source of freedom? That they, in their own power, can achieve their goals of liberty. But they realize that God has to now be the answer to their deliverance too. And so in the year four, they put on the coins for the redemption of Zion. But yet, even with the destruction of Jerusalem that ideology does not vanish as you would assume from reading some scholars. Because in the Bar Kokhva revolt, in the second century AD, from 132 to 136, we find on their coins as well for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption then was not something that was just inward private, spiritual. Clearly, the Jewish rebels of these revolts understood that redemption carried with it the nationalistic aspirations of Judaism. And we've talked several times in this season in different podcasts about Jewish ideas of redemption and their development between the 2nd century B.C. and the 1st century A.D., But were these ideas unique only to these militant Jewish rebels? No, they weren't. In Luke chapter 1, we find what is known as the Benedictus. It is a blessing that, is, that Luke puts in the lips of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And there he says, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel.'" For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Do you see the parallelism here? He's redeemed Israel and raised up a horn of salvation. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is this idea that we find within ancient Jewish sources of the period that the prophets prophesy concerning God's redemption at the end of the age. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy that he promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies— Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Did you catch that? if you're enjoying the windows into the bible podcast i want to tell you quickly about another great and affordable resource that we offer to help deepen your study and understanding of the bible the windows into the bible book club and bible study is a virtual on-demand book club and bible study like no other each month the book club and bible study reads a book chosen specifically to enhance your understanding of the world of the bible and that book is paired with a digital bible study it's all recorded and saved so that you can make progress no matter when you begin for just ten dollars a month every member of the book club and bible study receives a bible study notes and videos delivered to your inbox three times a week A members-only Facebook group for discussion and more resources. Two live virtual discussions with the book club each month, led by that month's expert or author. All materials are available on demand so you can read and learn at your own pace. This is just the low-stress, no-fuss Bible study and book club that you've been looking for. It's designed to deepen your study and understanding of the Bible for just $10 a month. Go to witbuniversity.com to join today. That's witbuniversity.com. See you there. Let me read that last part again to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Often you will hear people say, well, Jewish notions of redemption were about political, national, military ideas. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, that's not accurate. The removal of foreign rule, or as Zachariah's prayer says, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, establishes Israel's ability to serve God. So it's not segregated, either political or spiritual. No, rather, it is bifocal. The political freedom enables spiritual service and obedience, which brings about redemption. We find in Luke chapter 2, two very interesting characters that Joseph and Mary encounter In Jerusalem when they bring the baby Jesus to the temple to perform the necessary sacrifices and offerings of the newborn child, Simeon and Anna. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna speaks to those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke's description of both of these characters tells us that these are not the militant activists that ultimately bring about the first Jewish revolt. And this is very important because some would say, well, the coins that say for the redemption of Zion, that tells us that this is a slogan of these Jewish militant activists. But Simeon and Anna are looking for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. And they're not militant activists. In fact, they're very close to a hymn that was found in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's called an Apostrophe to Zion. It's as part of the Psalm Scroll that was found in Cave 11. And here we hear about those that are yearning for, hoping for, the redemption of Jerusalem. "'I recall you for blessing, O Zion.' With all my strength, I have loved you. Your name is eternally blessed. Great is your hope, O Zion. Peace and your longed for salvation have come. Did you hear that? Peace and salvation. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Generation after generation will dwell in you. Generations of the steadfast shall be your splendor. Those who yearn, for the day of your salvation, and will rejoice in your great glory. They shall suckle from your glorious breast and stray through your splendid squares. You shall recall the steadfastness of your prophets and be glorified by the deeds of your loyal ones. Violence is purged from your midst. Falsehood and evil cut off from you. Your sons rejoice within you. Your beloved ones accompany you. How they have hoped for your salvation. And your pure ones have mourned for you. You listening to the language? Hoping for your salvation. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what Simeon was doing. Those who have mourned for you. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus wasn't talking about those who are sad. He wasn't talking about those that have lost something. He wasn't even talking about empathy. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who mourn for the state of Jerusalem and Zion. This goes to Isaiah 61, where the one who is anointed with the Spirit of the Lord comforts those who mourn mourning here is a national mourning let's go back to this apostrophe to zion and read your hope won't be lost o zion nor your expectations be forgotten whom has righteousness ever destroyed or or escaped in iniquity man is tested according to his ways and each repaid according to his deeds All about your enemies are cut off, O Zion. Your foes have all been scattered. Your praise is sweet, O Zion, over the entire world. Many a time shall I recall you for a blessing and bless you with all my heart. You shall attain eternal justice and receive the blessings of the great. Consider the vision spoken of you and seek out the dreams of the prophets. Be built up and spread, O Zion. Praise the Most High, you Redeemer, Let my soul rejoice in your glory. Once again, we hear this language of the prophets prophesying, but what are they speaking about? The redemption of Zion. Now, early on, we read, Great is your hope, O Zion, peace and your longed-for salvation. We live in a world today that yearns for peace. In the West, we have idealized peace. And we have understood peace to mean the absence of all conflict. And as I started out today saying, what do we tend to do when we read the Bible, especially within its spiritual worldview? We import our worldview into it. When the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, Peace here, yes, does mean an end to conflict. But one of the things that we find is there may have to be punishment before the arrival of that peace. In order for Zechariah to talk about being Israel being delivered from the hands of its enemies— there would be some kind of conflict there. Peace in the New Testament is not, let's all sit around, lock arms, and sing kumbaya. Peace is actually that state where the idolatrous rule has been removed, and now the righteous have the ability to worship God as he desires for them to worship him. We hear in the story that Luke has about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus encounters them and they begin to tell him what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they say, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Luke's language of redemption is not something that is internal, personal, religious versus the secular that extends beyond the life of faith. The language of redemption within Luke's gospel speaks to the national hopes of redemption that Jews living in the land of Israel possessed. And while this language of redemption begins to move away within later Jewish sources from a pure national ideology, it never completely gets expunged from that. And the hope for redemption remains, and it is tied to the giving of the Torah God's promise of the land, and ultimately the realization of his kingship over Israel and over the world. In Luke 21, Jesus speaks about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He's not alone of his contemporaries in anticipating its destruction and ruin. But Jesus was a prophet he identifies himself as such. He identifies himself as God's anointed as such. And like any good prophet who sees the dark clouds on the horizon that foretell and forebode destruction and devastation, he sees past those clouds to the dawning of a new day. And so while he predicts the coming destruction, he also promises redemption and restoration. Jesus then identified with the national hopes of redemption shared by his Jewish contemporaries. And what's interesting to note As we started off this podcast saying, Luke alone preserves this language of redemption connected to Jesus's coming, his ministry, and even his words. Although the language of redemption does not appear, we do find in Acts 1, the disciples asking the resurrected Jesus Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? That language goes back to Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. And Jesus doesn't say, Come on, guys, you don't get it. The kingdom is internal, it's personal. No, he says, It's not for you to know the times or the periods. But then he tells them that they will be his witnesses, even to the ends of the earth. It seems rather unlikely that Luke would have included this language of redemption, which became so much connected to the politics of the first Jewish revolt, if Luke were writing after the revolt. But rather, its inclusion in his gospel, unlike the other gospels, is most likely indicative that Luke here is preserving the words of someone living prior to the Jewish revolt. And in fact, it probably is indicative of Luke writing before that revolt. If we want to understand the spiritual worldview of the Bible, we need to be prepared that it may look differently than ours. We need to be ready to be challenged and surprised. And when we step into the world of ancient Jewish literature, we need to try not to read it through our lenses and worldview, but actually allow ourselves to enter into its world. Because when we enter the world of the Bible, then we can understand the words of the Bible. I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows Into the Bible podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at the WITB podcast, You can comment and send us questions, which we will answer on a future episode. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mark Turnage. See you next time. We hope you're enjoying the Windows into the Bible podcast. If you are, help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. This helps the show get seen and heard by even more people looking to learn about the world of the Bible. And by subscribing, you make sure new episodes to the podcast show up in your feed as soon as they go live. Give us a rating, a review, and subscribe. And most of all, keep listening. It's Mark. One of the reasons I wanted to start the Windows Into the Bible podcast was to show how, by accessing the world of the Bible, we can better understand the words of the Bible. This philosophy has been at the core of my entire career, because I know from firsthand experience how knowing the world of the Bible completely transforms your understanding and study of the Bible. But nothing, not even a podcast, transforms how you read the Bible like actually going to the land of the Bible in person to experience it for yourself. Offering the finest on-site, expert-led trips and experiences to the world of the Bible, Biblical Expeditions has taken thousands of Bible readers and travelers from around the world to the lands of the Bible with trips to Israel. Turkey, Greece, Jordan, Italy, and Egypt. If you are a church leader and are interested in organizing a trip for your church or interested in joining a group to the lands of the Bible, reach out and the Biblical Expeditions team can make that happen. Go to biblical-expeditions.com to learn more about biblical expeditions and upcoming trips, and learn how you can finally transform your study of the Bible by actually going to the land of the Bible on a life-changing trip. That's biblical-expeditions.com. We use the world of the Bible to transform how you read the words of the Bible.
1: listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.